Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, 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 and welcome to the show. Um, the events in Gaza, as horrifying as ever. We now know around 8,500 people have died, a, over 3,500 uh, children, a truly dreadful uh, death toll. Um, and it must be said that it must be feared that the worst is yet to come. Now, what I've been doing on this channel as best I can, as well as obviously my own... Uh, videos commenting on what's happening is I've tried to elevate the voices that we need to be hearing from right now. It's been a pretty broad range of people, and that includes, of course, uh, Palestinians both here um, and in Palestine, uh, Israeli peace activists, um, uh, Jewish peace activists here in Britain, uh, medics, uh, experts generally. And today's no exception. We're very lucky today to have um, some fantastic uh, speakers um, who can speak from lived experience about the horror that is unfolding. And that's what I'll be trying to do as best I can over the coming uh, weeks. Um, particularly, I have to say, and one of the things which I found particularly disturbing is when we talk, when Palestinians are platformed um, in the media, it's often an interrogation, as though they're, even though they have nothing to do with um, Hamas or the atrocities committed by Hamas, but they're almost as though they're being prosecuted. Um, I think this is particularly disturbing, often when these Palestinians on air who, are, who have lost their relatives and lost their loved ones. Um, a gruesome episode, all of this, but that's one particularly disturbing facet of it. So it's particularly important that those I interview, I provide the space to talk about uh, what's happening on their own terms. So um, we have a lot to talk about today. Later on, we'll have a, med a brilliant medic who has been to Gaza many times who will talk about the humanitarian catastrophe, which is currently unfolding in Gaza. And um, we're also very lucky to have um, a man who's an, uh, who, an Israeli man whose cousin was kidnapped by Hamas on the 7th of October, who is calling for peace. Um, and shortly I will be speaking to Ahmed Najjar, who is a Palestinian man who has family um, in Gaza. Um, before I begin, um, I think it's just worth again, just reflecting on where we are currently at. Yesterday, a refugee camp, Jabalia, was hit by an Israeli missile. Let's just see some of the devastation that was unleashed and the aftermath of that attack. Yeah. 
these are difficult images to watch and there's no shortage of videos exposing the horror of what what's being unleashed online have making we are making a bit of an editorial decision at the moment which is difficult uh, in terms of what we show in terms of the the horror of what's happened um which I'll talk about I think later I just want to see a response this was um a spokesperson for the Israeli Defence Force who was interviewed on CNN in the aftermath of that missile attack, which has killed a huge number of innocent civilians. And let's just see how he responded when being interviewed by Wolf Blitzer. But you know that there are a lot of refugees, a lot of innocent civilians, men, women and children in that refugee camp as well, right? This is the tragedy of war, Wolf. I mean, we, as you know, we've been seeing for days, move south. Civilians that are not involved with Hamas, please move south. Yeah, I'm just uh, trying to get we, a little bit more information. Uh, you knew there were civilians there. You knew there were refugees, all sorts of refugees. But you decided to still drop a bomb on that refugee camp attempting to kill the Hamas commander. I think it's important just to display that because, um, you know, a distinction. obviously we're, we're being told over again, we're being told that is that the Israeli forces are not intentionally killing civilians. Now, done a lot in terms of the rhetoric of Israeli officials. Benjamin Netanyahu, um, who refers to Amalek in the Bible, um, in which, if you read that biblical passage, calls for the, the killing of men, women, and children, and animals for that matter. I have to say, if it was uh, a Muslim country at war in this way, and the leader was quoting from the Quran passages which call for the extermination of all civilians, I wonder what conversation we'd be having. But at the same time, uh, whether it be Israeli officials saying that the focus is on damage and accuracy, about reducing Gaza to a city of tents where all buildings are destroyed. Um, I mean, it, it, it's so important that we're not gaslit into pretending that there is some sort of attempt here to preserve uh, civilian life. Um, in a previous video I did earlier, I noted that in the Bosnian War, which took place over three years, an estimated 40,000 civilians died. And that war is regarded as a particularly violent bloody war obviously many of the soldiers died in that war as well um eight and a half thousand civilians have been killed in the space of three and a half weeks it's estimated or eight and a half thousand people palestinians have been killed the death toll may be significantly higher because the number under rubble um and gaza has half the population of bosnia before that particular war uh iraq body count have pointed out that the death rates in Gaza is 10 times higher than the same period of the Iraq war back in 2003. I think it's very important that we do put this in context and the sheer scale of death we're talking about, because um, this could go on for many months. And if in three and a half weeks, eight and a half thousand people have been killed, it's just worth putting that in context. And, you know, we, we will be talking later in terms of the humanitarian disaster, because a lot of the focus is on the missiles and the weapons, which have killed huge numbers of people. But we have a medical health system which is collapsing. Um, and the lack of clean water, the lack of available food. The scale of this humanitarian catastrophe and what could happen next is something that needs particular focus at the moment. And I'll be doing much more on that. Now, if you're watching live, press or not watching live, please press like and do subscribe. You can keep the show on the road on patreon.com forward slash OJZ4. If you have questions to our guests, the super chat keeps the show on the road in terms of the channel. Thank everyone at the end. I just want to straight bring in straight away Ahmed uh, Najjar, who has many hats. You're playwright, director, actor, financial analyst, 
many hats. Um, really appreciate having you here, Akron, because you have. Um, so thank you, welcome. Thank you. Um, so you have family currently in Gaza. I mean, you studied, didn't you, at Al Azhar University in Gaza? So can you just tell me in terms of how many relatives you have in Gaza at the moment and whether you've been in touch with them at all? Uh, well, my my entire family is in, is in Gaza right now. My my parents, uh, my siblings, uh, nephews and nieces, and the extended family as well, uh, cousins and what have you. Um, I actually, I, I didn't manage to get hold of my family uh, for, since yesterday, since the massacre that happened in Jabalia camp and which you mentioned in uh, earlier on. And then also today, actually, another at massive attack in El Fallujah area, which is in Jabalia camp as well. And just half an hour ago, another attack in Abu Rashid area, which is also in Jabalia camp. All of these areas are very close to, uh, to my parents' and neighborhood where all my uh, family members are uh, residing at the moment. So... Um, I managed to get hold of my sister, who is uh, in Khanyunis, which is in the south of Gaza. And um, she kept trying to call for more than two hours. And I was keeping also trying to um, keep trying to call them. And she eventually managed to get hold of them. Um, thankfully, they are still alive. Uh, but as you may be able to, to, to imagine how scared uh, they are and how um really desperate in a way they don't know what to do because all the attacks are surrounding them and there is there's been a lot of uh people killed that they know or they've heard that they've been killed but they're not sure because they don't, don't know they don't have any way of actually finding out who has been <laughs> killed and who is not so that has been in the last 24 hours has been a three massive attacks in Jabalia camp with People don't know the number uh, that has been killed, but they estimated, they're estimating about 600 people that have been killed in, in the three attacks uh, since uh, yesterday. Um, in the first attack, I have to say there, there's a lot of my relatives live in that uh, neighborhood. Um, we couldn't manage to get hold of them. With, or, 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 and that's because all the communications, in particularly in Jabalia, are, is down. So... Um, yeah, the, the the I don't know. Um, the situation is dire. The situation is really extremely scary, um, and it doesn't look like Israel will is is intending to stop at any point. I I think they could carry on, and and I fear that it, it's it's almost like you're waiting. Is your family going to be next? Um, is your immediate family? I mean, like I. I we have lost already three cousins, and then we're now wondering: is is my, uh, my immediate family going to be next? Um, now we were thinking: will they be able to go to the south? But then my sister in the south, and she said, "It's it, there's, there's also a lot of bombardments everywhere. We don't know. With it's the same thing. We're hearing a lot of bombardments, but we're not quite sure where exactly they are. So the whole of Gaza really is not is not." Uh, safe at all um they don't know where to go they don't know what to do um and uh, let alone the situation of the food and water and uh, uh, and the uh, medicine my parents are uh, diabetic and they need the insulin regularly 
and you know the insulin goes in the fridge and there's no electricity no fridge uh, to no electricity for the the fridge um they've been really suffering really suffering um trying to keep going um and they've been drinking contaminated water they've been manually filtering the, the the water into putting it into pieces of, uh, of clothes and trying to filter it doing whatever they can to survive what's really happening there is is a genocide is a massacres everywhere in the streets is like an, a massive earthquake has hit the entire of Gaza Strip everywhere you go there uh, houses uh, demolished that's how the picture that my family painted it to me is like they, they they're saying like do you know that this house that that this house for these people is gone this house this house do you know this school is gone do you know this bakery is gone do you know like hundreds of places that they they're trying to remind me where they are and then they're saying yeah this is gone this is no longer there you know this road that we used to go by the sea that yes okay it's gone and i'm like this is this is insane like it's literally nothing is left there when you heard that IDF spokesperson I referred to before, showed his short clip, yeah. and he was asked by Wolf Blitzer about this about a refugee camp being bombed with a truly horrifying death toll, and it was justified on the basis of a single Hamas commander being present. Mm-hmm. Um, and his justification was, "Well, we told civilians to move south. Uh, under international law, it doesn't. D- d- there is that. That doesn't count. You can't say." Yeah. You can't treat anyone who who doesn't flee when you demand they flee. I mean, the UN condemned that forcible removal or demand for people to leave um, as a legitimate target, which is almost what the implication was. And many people couldn't mm. flee. And even the south, the south is being bombed. It's not a safe zone. Yeah. But when you hear that, what what's your reaction when when you hear that justification? There was a single Hamas commander, and that justified bombing a refugee camp. I think um, I fear. Uh... That that there is go, they are going to carry on committing more and more uh, massacres um, and c- killing more people, and uh, the world is giving them really. Most Western governments have given them the green light to carry on to carry out their their massacres, um, and I feel that they feel the justification and the power to do what they are doing, um, and because there no one really trying to stop them as in fact they are actually encouraging them to carry on and we've seen what the position of our government here and even the opposition government party they were saying this is not the time for a ceasefire that actually has made me feel um sick worried and disgusted at the same time because how many palestinians do you need to be killed to call for a ceasefire. How many? How many people to be displaced? We have more than one million Palestinians in Gaza being displaced right now. Three hundred or four hundred thousands of them. They don't have any houses. How many? How many destructions do you want? Is our life that cheap? Is our life is not worthy? Is our life not the same as the Jewish people's lives in 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 that spot of land? And I think. It, it does make me feel feel like really really worried and scared and looking back at history how how genocides were uh, were committed and how massacres were committed it was it was pretty much like that dehumanize these people and make the rest of the world feel okay about killing them and this is exactly what we're seeing in the mainstream media 
the politicians, the way that they are covering the conflict there, they never they never hold Israel uh, uh, responsible for what is it doing. They never challenge the Israelis' narrative. They never challenge the Israeli politicians when they come out and speak in the mainstream media. As a matter of fact, particularly, you know, uh, BBC, Sky News have been watching and following them, and they're really giving justification to that. And this scares me a lot. I mean, they're complicit, and I, and I as a Palestinian, as a, a, a Palestinian British, I will not forget the, what the, uh, the British government's position towards the, uh, my people, towards my family. They are, the Israel is committing a genocide in front of their eyes, and they're supporting that. I feel, uh, you know, apart from the fact that I feel helpless, but I feel very, very angry of, of their position, extremely angry about the fact that they are supporting such an uh, uh, atrocity. I mean, it, it, I can't, I can't, I still can't believe it. I still can't, you know, it still can't sink into me. It's like, how could you not even call for a ceasefire? This is beyond belief for me. I can't comprehend, uh, comprehend what's, why wouldn't you do that? Save lives, call for ceasefire, stop the fighting. And 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 to be very honest, I, I think there's a lot of ignorance about the fact that they keep telling people, oh, but Israel is after Hamas. I don't understand. I don't think they actually understand what's Hamas. And they even probably haven't read the, what, the, the charter of Hamas or they don't know what Hamas is. And it's just a name that it's trying to to throw a dust in people's eyes and they don't see the, the, the truth, what's happening on the ground. And so that gives Israel the legitimacy and justification to carry on whatever plan they have to make people, Palestinians refugees again or to take Gaza over again or whatever plans they have. Yeah. And, in it, and, and that's what it is because I don't really think they know who Hamas is and what Hamas is. Uh, Hamas is the, an idea or of resistance are you going to? Uh, do you think that you by killing, finishing Hamas, you're going to finish the resistance? Some uh, someone else will resist, and Hamas, it wasn't there for all of that. Hamas it was created in in uh, late eighties, and before that it was the PLO. Before that was were other parties, and after it as well, the resistance is there as long as there's suppression, there's occupation, then there must there will always be resistance. So I'm not. I don't really know why they can't get there. I don't really know why can't they just call for peace, why they can't really put their effort to settle this uh, uh, conflict, in a, to uh, try implement justice for both. And I don't understand why can't they see it. Uh, it, it all, it's just the way that I see it is that they don't think of us as Palestinians, as humans. They dehumanize us and they don't want us there. And that's how, it, how I see it. The problem is in is it the international community and we we know what israel is going to do but we are deeply deeply disappointed on the international community that is supporting the israelis narrative which is unfortunately now sadly is carrying uh the uh it's carrying genocides into it i mean i should say as well just in terms of just finally because and, and very glad to have taken up so much of your time but in previous counterinsurgencies for example in iraq um when there's a counterinsurgency against um, Al Qaeda, um, and what happened is an even more extreme force uh, filled the vacuum, which was ISIS. Um, and there's a lack of imagination there. I think in terms of if you look historically, what happens with these sorts of 
um, when the focus is on military um, solutions, as it were, rather than um, exactly. Um, I mean, I mean, just finally, I mean, there's there's also just like talk of you know, which is being discussed. There is it's from the um, intelligence ministry in, in Israel, though yeah. many are pointing out doesn't the Israeli ministry doesn't actually have the sorts of sweeping power you might think, but nonetheless. <laughs> discussing the potential for, for driving the entire population of Gaza into the Sinai desert. That has been discussed by other officials, of course. And that isn't, that's not what, you know, and, and Egypt has warned that could be the case. I mean, is that is that a worry, that, that this could end with Gaza's population being driven from... Uh, absolutely, from absolutely. This is a massive worry. When I spoke to my dad uh, three days ago, the, the last time I spoke to him, I managed to get hold of him. And I said, like, Dad, why don't you just leave, go to the south? And then he said to me, uh, I, I have been displaced. I have been made refugees for uh, twice before in, in my life. He, he was born in a, in a small town that, in a Palestinian town that's now Israel. And he's, he's 70, 77 years old now. And and then and then he was displaced at that time in the Nakba and uh, uh, again in the in the seventies. Uh, and he said to me, "I will not go. I will not leave to into a refugees camp to start uh, again from scratch. I've started this twice in my life, and I can't see myself doing it again now. I I cannot at the age of seventy seven. I will not leave. And then a lot a lot of fearing and then that in amongst the Palestinians in Gaza." fearing that could be the case that they drive them to sign a desert. And I think the, the Israeli politicians have spoken clearly about that. And, and it's a huge, massive fear for me that might be the case. And yeah. Mm. I mean, I really appreciate you joining us. It's such a difficult time for you. And I know the coming weeks and days and weeks will be full of worry and, and, and concern that so many people... Obviously, I'm not just thinking about you, but doing their best to think to, to campaign to end this this absolute horror show, which has obviously consumed your lives and the lives of so many of the people. Okay. Um, so we really appreciate you being able to talk thank to you. us. Such a difficult time, and and look forward to speaking to you again. But thank you so so much for joining us. Honestly, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks very much for inviting me. Always. Cheers, up. Take care. Um, difficult conversation to be having. Um, really appreciate. Obviously. Been talking to us and we'll continue to platform as many Palestinian voices um, as we can. I'm now really delighted to be joined by Udi Garen. Um, Udi is from Israel. His cousin was kidnapped by Hamas on the 7th of October. Um, Udi, someone else, obviously in a very difficult situation. So it's really, really, really appreciate being, being able to speak to us given, given the raw emotions of what you're going through. Um, yep. Thank you. Um, Firstly, can you just tell, tell me, in terms of on 7th of October, just tell me a bit about your cousin, about what happened, um, and, and how you found out, and what, what was going through your head, I suppose. Is... Yeah, so first of all, thank you for having me, and you know, having these stories also be told. Um, on the 7th of October, um, it took a while until people in Israel realized what was going on in the South. Once, you know, headlines started coming out, um, we started calling my family and, and we have a family, all of my mom's, uh, all of my mother's family, they live in uh, southern Israel in a kibbutz, which is about four kilometers from Gaza. And they were among the kibbutzim that were hit very hard, very early. At about 6.30 in the morning, they heard 
in a very um, odd amount of sirens. They're very used to the sirens of missile launches from Gaza, but this was something completely out of the ordinary. Everybody ran to the bomb shelters. And, um, and soon after, they realized there were people trying to infiltrate the kibbutz. Tal, my cousin, went out trying to defend his house, uh, or his home, rather. And uh, we know he was accompanied by his uh, brother-in-law. We know he encountered some of the terrorists that, uh, that were trying to get into the kibbutz. And that's the, at about 8 o'clock. That's the last time his wife was able to reach him. And uh, from that point on, we don't really know what had happened. His phone was traced to Gaza. His body wasn't found anywhere. He's not in any of the Israeli hospitals. So that leads us to, um, to conclude that he's being held hostage in Gaza. I mean, it's a huge amount for you to process. I mean, being left in limbo like that and just having no idea, no idea whatsoever about what's happened to, to someone you will love so, so much. I mean, lots of people in your situation have come to the conclusion of war is the only answer, but you haven't come to that conclusion. Can you just talk through what's going through your mind and what your position is? Um, I think you made a very good point with the previous interview. And, and you know, I also want to um, extend my warm, heartfelt compassion to Ahmed, who spoke before me, um, who's in a, in a terrible, terrible situation. You know, I'm, the fact that I'm in, in pain and, and losing sleep doesn't mean that his pain is any less than mine, especially when he has so much family there. Um, and, um, and I think in your conversation with him, you, you pointed out the exact answer. There is no military solution to this conflict. There never was, there isn't, there never will be. And, uh, and, and he made a very good point as well, that when the Israeli politicians, backed by, the, uh, by Prime Minister Sunak or by President Biden, say, we're going to win, we're going to annihilate Hamas, I haven't heard anyone, anyone ask them, what does that mean? Because he said it exactly right. Hamas is an idea of resistance, and you cannot kill an idea of resistance. You, it doesn't matter how many commanders we kill. doesn't matter how many soldiers of Hamas we kill. It, it doesn't matter how many uh, missile launching sites we, we destroy. As long as the idea is there, they'll find a way to rise again and with more vengeance, with more anger, with, with more power, and and the spiral will continue on and on and on and i have absolutely no doubt in my mind that there will never ever be a military solution to this and again referring to your point it has never happened before you can look at the us everything they've tried to do even when they aim for good at times you know with iraq and afghanistan being the most recent examples Power will never, or power or war, violence yeah. will never ever change public opinion. You cannot go into a people that hate you and resist you, and then by force make them love you and stop um, and, and stop opposing you. It's it's just it's impossible. It's 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 
it's actually ridiculous. It's childish to think that. It's it's it it is it's so mind blowingly infantile to think that. You know, all you need to do is just pick up your phone and Google it. You know, you don't have to be an expert military man. You don't have to be, you know, a professional historian with a PhD. Pick up your damn phones and just find one instance in history where it worked. You won't. Because an oppressed people will always find a way to fight their oppressor. I think as well, I mean, when we talk about these precedents, I mean... Afghanistan being one where you had a two decade long occupation, which ended with the Taliban stronger than it was before Iraq. Within a month, within a month, it's not even like there was something like, like, a, <laughs> like a period that, that something worked out. And I mean, Iraq, I gave that other example, but the, the problem even with that, because you had, you know, there was a, the argument that Saddam Hussein was in cahoots with Al Qaeda, which was a nonsense. But after the Iraq war, that's when you got Al Qaeda in Iraq you had a counterinsurgency program, and then when Al-Qaeda was supposedly defeated, ISIS replaced it. It was far, far worse in terms of not just its extremism, but how much of Iraq and Syria it took hold of. Um, but the point there is it's not even comparable because the context of Al-Qaeda uh, in Iraq compared to Palestine with the decades going back of, of occupation and not having a nation, that kind of thing, it's not even... So that's the, you know, logically... It, it, but the problem is, I mean, I suppose this is the fear that Many in your situation, understandably, are, are angry and full of grief, um, and uh, you know, on that emotional level, just there's there's an inevitable human response, which is you go in there and and you know wipe Gaza off the map. Or I mean, that's where some have ended up. I mean, what would you say to people who think there is a military uh, solution to this in 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 that sense? Because it, it seems to you know in in Israeli society there are brave peace activists who are really fighting but the atmosphere is very very difficult to make those arguments yeah so i'll okay so I'll, you've asked a very good question and i've got three different um responses that i want to give to that um so first of all what do i tell people i i don't keep quiet at any point i don't keep quiet because you know like that guy in uh, in vietnam and during the vietnam war that stood outside the the white house with a sign saying stop the war and when people asked him why are you there you're not going to make any difference uh you're not going to change the world he said i want to make sure the world doesn't change me um so I, I will not keep quiet and especially in these times because this is when you know your true values and morals um come into play and and i think that many people understandably so because they're struck by grief and anger and rage and it's far beyond that it's far beyond that and I'll, I'll, maybe i'll we'll have time to address it uh, what what did the hamas attack really do um in israel but um their response is you know we have the military we're we we have the power and and that's also what we've been used to that's that's what we have been told from a very early age that's the ethos that israel you know, has, was, was founded on that if we don't take care of ourselves, if we don't fight back, they will destroy us, which was true until 1973. It was 100% true. Uh, exactly 50 years ago, the Yom Kippur War, the 73 war. Um, but this ethos remains. So what I tell people right now is what I tell myself. 
think of your own interest. What's your interest? Not what's your position, not what you feel like, not how you want to support and kill and destroy and revenge and, and whatever. What is your interest? What's your long-term interest? What is going to be the optimal result for this war that would benefit you, you, the Israeli citizen? Um, and I don't think that destroying Gaza is the right answer. First of all, because if we're doing that and the ground invasion is continued, we are basically saying to the world, we give up on the hostages. We, we don't care about the hostages. We, kill, we care about continuing with the war, achieving our goals. And this is it. And, and human lives and civilian lives, very important to stress this out. Um, kids pregnant women, elderly, chronically ill, these are not a priority. Um, so if it, this is the, the meaning of continuing with the war and not calling for a ceasefire. Aside from that, and I think this is something that's, it, it, it's a huge topic, but um, Israelis are not only very fearful, and this is something that I think the world does not um, does not understand when when it comes to how Israelis perceive themselves, because we keep building walls and more walls and more walls around us, and and we keep attacking three times or ten times or a hundred times hard as we're hit, because Israelis are inc incredibly fearful for their lives, mm -hmm. historically for right reasons, and um, and and we're we're trying. I think it's a lot due to our politicians who are, I don't think are very good, um, that we somehow think that the Gazan problem would just disappear or the Palestinian problem would just disappear. And the only time that it really, you know, makes the headlines and people actually think about it and give it a lot of attention is when we're at war. And, um, and, and, and this is the, the, you know, this is the sentiment, like we just want this problem to be over because all we have been promised by our politicians and by Hamas is that there is no resolution. That's the only thing we're being told. Um, so that's, that's my point. I tried to speak of our own interests because the Palestinians will not evaporate into thin air. They're not going to disappear magically. They will stay there. And you know, sadly for us, that's what I keep telling people, there are problems. We don't border the Swiss. We don't border the Danes. Maybe it would have been much easier. We border the Palestinians and they are there to stay and we are there to stay. And it's our responsibility to solve this situation. Which brings me to my other point in regards to your question, when you said this is no comparison to Iraq and Afghanistan because this is an ongoing occupation. And it's a, it's a, a true statement. But what's missing in the public discourse, what's 100% missing in the public discourse, especially on the, on the more leftist um, um, activists, is the Palestinian responsibility for their own fate. And what do I, I don't mean what's happening now in Gaza. Absolutely not. The people who are now in Gaza are in a horrific situation, which is awful beyond comprehension. But for 75 years, the main um, attitude of the Palestinian leadership 
was we don't have a state because of Israel. We don't have a state because of the US, because of the UN, because of Europe, because of whoever. And they had several opportunities to have a state. And I'll tell you more than that. They still have an opportunity to have a state. But this opportunity has to be taken, not waited for. And, you know, in 19, I'll just finish this, this thought and, uh, and I'll be happy to, to have you ask me about it. Um, in, in 1948, the whole region was under occupation, right? And after 1948, Israel had a state and the Palestinians did not. And there was a reason and we could go on and on about this. And they had several other opportunities in the past. But the main thing is that when we, every time we reach this point, we're in the middle of the war and then Israel hits very, very hard. And this is no excuse by mm -hmm. any means to the carnage that's happening in Gaza. This is absolutely not my point. But between now and the next round of violence, Israel has the responsibility to solve it. But you know who else has the responsibility to solve it? Hamas and the Palestinian Authority. And the same request, claim, and, and demand need to be made from all sides. Yeah, I suppose, I mean, I, I don't want to get too bogged down, obviously, in terms of the history. And I really appreciate, obviously, you coming to talk about it. Um, and, and, you know, particularly that call for peace and and not least given what you're going through. I suppose if I was going to just, in terms of a historical context, because you mentioned we don't border the Swiss and... You know, but if, if the Swiss didn't have a state and they were deprived of their ability to have a nation and they were in the same situation, I don't think there would have been any difference. Um, in 1948, 700,000 Palestinians were driven from their homes. Huge numbers mm -hmm. were killed during the Nakba. Um, and then, you know, the PLO did accept the peaceful route, didn't really have very much to show for it. The West Bank has been settled illegally. Um, and if we look at because um, I don't, I mean, I, I think many would contest the idea there were several opportunities to have a viable Palestinian state. Um, but also, if we look at Hamas and why so many ended up being driven into the arms of Hamas, it's not just the fact that Israeli newspapers like Haaretz have exposed how Benjamin Netanyahu um, and those around him helped, it was in their interest to, to prop mm -hmm. up Hamas and to divide the Palestinian people. Absolutely. But, but, but Israel, the difference between Israel and the Palestinians is the Palestinians, of course, are deprived of the ability to have a state. They've been deprived of that ability for a very long time. They've been driven from their homes repeatedly. Um, and uh, they don't have the support of a military superpower. Um, Israel, of course, uh, does. And, you know, the, the West Bank at the moment, you see it's not under the control of Hamas. We can see the, the wave of onslaught. That's of, of, not exactly true. That's not exactly true. That's what? not a true statement. Which which bit is it? Sorry, that it's not under the control of Hamas. If West, Israel West Bank pulls isn't under out, the control of Hamas. no, it's of course it's under the PLO. Of course, yes. But if Israel different. withdrew tomorrow morning, the next day Abu Mazen would be hung in the main square of Ramallah, and Hamas would take power, because the Palestinians are extremely, extremely frustrated with them. Well, I mean that's the that's my point. I suppose you know it, Hamas. It, it, Thirty years ago, Hamas would not be in the position it is now. And what we've seen is the Absolutely undermining true. of the, the secular movements, which ended up abandoning the armed struggle. Um, and that wasn't mm -hmm. rewarded in the eyes of the Palestinian people. I mean, look, I suppose where we would agree, because I don't want to take up too much of your time, is there is no solution without one that accepts that Jews, Israeli, Israelis and Palestinians, Jews and, and Palestinians, they're not going anywhere. This is the, your shared land. 
There is no, there's no peaceful settlement unless there is a security, safety, and peace uh, for Palestinians and Israelis in that same strip of land. But I, I would just say, just because I had to, in terms of the history, I suppose, um, I don't think we can address that unless we obviously accept the asymmetry of, of power and, and, and who has who's backing and who doesn't. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. That was the point. I, I wouldn't 100% agree with you, but this is a whole different discussion. No, I know. I know. My, That's what I was my about. point, just my point being, is that it takes two to tango, always, you know? And, and when, and I wanna, I, you know, when we speak now about this war and we speak about the carnage going on in Gaza, it's true carnage. It's, it's horrible. I don't support it. I want the war to stop and I want to cease fire immediately. Mm-hmm. Not because, not just because of my cousin, because I think what's being done to the Gazans is immoral. And I think what's being done in Gaza is not in Israel's interest. For all these reasons, I think we should have a ceasefire immediately. However, when we address this situation and we don't acknowledge that this began, the reason we're talking right now is that three weeks ago, this event began by crimes against humanity, conducted against civilians, that most of them, you know, the irony is that most of them are left-leaning, peaceful, or, or you know, um, um, resolution, pro-resolution Israelis that would be potential partners for any any kind of uh, of peace agreement or future peace agreement um and when we leave this out when the discussion is only about what israel is doing now we're missing the point because what it does and, and i don't think you could be exposed to it as much as i am because i read the israeli media is that what it does it makes israel get tougher on its positions or israelis get tougher because you know we sit at home not me but we as israelis sit at home and you know they they hold their heads and they just say i i can't believe they're defending Hamas. how is that no, possible course, and, and, and it's well, so important you know i mean when you mention about of course progressive and look I'm careful i'm sensitive with obviously how i express this not least given what you've gone through you know i was with an israeli friend on the 7th of october and uh, his cousin um was at the rave uh, and escaped. Two of her friends got kidnapped. Um, I was with him. He was on the phone to his family back in Israel, uh, talking about mm-hmm. that. And they were, you know, these are progressive 
Israelis who are predisposed to peace. Um, I suppose my, my my worry would always be just look the seventh of October. What Hamas did was terrible. What you, as you say, crimes against humanity. These were crimes against humanity. There was no cause on earth that justifies the murder of innocent civilians. None. And 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 it's very important uh, that we talk about those atrocities. And I've always tried, ever since it began, to condemn those hideous, indefensible atrocities that were committed, mm -hmm. and that we have to understand the pain and the, and the suffering, and also to put it in the wider context of the collective mm -hmm. trauma that so many Jews feel, um, given the 2,000 years of persecution that Jesus, and that whenever you get something like this, that always brings that to the surface. I suppose mm -hmm. the point I would make is it's so important that we don't start the clock there because clearly that's not Absolutely. when the war began. And, and, you know, Absolutely not. That's, Absolutely the 7th not. of October is so important that that broader, uh, you know, this began, this began decades and decades ago. It didn't even begin in 1948. It began before 1948. Mm -hmm. but look, I just you can go back 150 years, easy. Exactly. But look, your voice is so important, um, regardless of us discussing that wider context, because the fact is to call for a ceasefire, given what you've gone through, is something which I think just speaks to your sense of humanity and your your sense of whatever you're going through and your family are going through, your 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 belief in the common humanity of both Palestinians and and those in Israel and your belief that that this suffering has to end, whatever ends up happening afterwards and, and whatever the way forward is, I think it really speaks um, to that humanity. So I just really appreciate it. And I just, I hope obviously that your cousin uh, comes out safe and back with you and, and, and you. the family. And I just really appreciate you being able to speak to us. Thank you. And I want to encourage everyone who cares about this region. And it doesn't matter if you feel that your position is being pro-Palestinian or being pro-Israeli, I encourage everyone to think about their own interests. And if your interest is saving human lives and you care, you truly care about the lives of Palestinians or you truly care about the lives of Israelis, then the call should be equal. A ceasefire and immediately after, immediately after, keep talking about this all the time, not just when we're at war, because otherwise it will never end. And that's, a, I think, a brilliant way to end it. Udi, thank you so much and uh, all my thoughts. And thank you thank so you much for having me. Cheers. Take care. Um, again, really important that we have this. Such a great range, such an important range of voices. And we'll continue to have all the way through this. I'm just even talking about all the way through. I mean, when, when, and does that, what, what time frame am I even talking about here? But we will, all the way through, do our best to platform a whole range of different voices. And, um, including having discussions and, and and debates about things where we, you know, will disagree or, 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 or agree. Um, I do think it's so important that we have someone there who's gone through a trauma and has has spoken, I think, very hard from the heart in, in, in support of a ceasefire, which within Israeli society now is a very isolated position to have. And I think it's just worth bearing that in mind. Um, I'm now going to begin, very lucky to have Brenda Kelly, who is uh, a consultant obstetrician. I can't even say obstetrician, can I? Obstetrician. Obstetrician. It's not even hard to say. What's my problem? Um, Brenda, it's so great to speak to you. You're, it's, it's medics for Gaza, am I right? Am I? Am I just? Am I? Gaza no. medics. For, well, um, we're a team. I'm part of a team of doctors um, who, based in Oxford, London, who've been going to Gaza for the last sort of 12, 13 years. Um, and in, we were actually supposed to be going again on Friday. Did you just start teaching on Sunday in Gaza? Um, 
but if, because of events, we're obviously not, no longer doing that. But um, instead, what we're doing is coming together as a team um, with our friends and colleagues in Gaza to ensure that they have an ongoing platform. So we have Gaza Medic Voices, um, which is on Twitter or I, um, X and on um, Instagram, where we're trying to stream um, curated voices because in honesty, on a lot of the material we're getting from friends and colleagues um, is so horrific that we've had to edit. Um, we've certainly not been able to post the videos that we've, we've had coming through, which have been deeply distressing. Um, but what we want to do is, is stand in solidarity with our friends and colleagues in Gaza, many of whom we've known for years, with former medical students as well that we work with, and ensure their voice um, comes out um, to the world. We're very lucky to speak last week to Omar Abdel Manan, your colleague who spoke um, brilliantly about what was happening, but it's it's not, it's, it's and I should say this, it's, it is difficult to hear the details, but, but, but painfully necessary. And, you know, you've spoken about how you've had to edit some of the stuff you've got, because it is, we, we are speaking about un, absolutely just, hideous horrors which are beyond the realms of most people's nightmares and i think it's important we talk about that i mean brenda what are the sorts of things you're hearing because you've been to obviously gaza repeatedly but you've, you've got you're getting this information on the ground I, we spoke to omar a week ago and things were catastrophic well i would say on that you know we could go we, we were talking in terms of you know catastrophic catastrophic humanitarian crises and actually the reality is that it's way beyond that now you know what we're seeing on the footage that's coming through from our medical colleagues is an apocalypse I mean it is absolutely unimaginable I mean Omar would have spoken about how the situation was before October 7th in that um, the Gaza and Palestinians would have not received um, for many many years the hospitals were already working at capacity, already hugely dependent on outside aid coming in. Um, we've worked with some incredibly highly skilled, you know, clinicians, surgeons and so forth. But nothing prepares for such a mass casualty situation. And it's it's the scale of the killing and it is the scale of the repeated atrocities. It's the unrelenting nature of what's happening. Um, we are also hearing stories of hospitals and our main link is with al-shifa but we're hearing stories of hospitals running out of very basic supplies you know one of the most distressing things that i have personally heard in the last 24 hours is you know the, the narrative of you know a clinician treating a child with 90 percent you know body covered in third degree burns unable to even give basic paracetamol basic pain relief running out of really really basic stuff you know, the um, Jabalia massacre that happened um, yesterday with further bombardments today, you know, there are children arriving in hospital, and I'm sorry to be graphic about this, but there are children arriving in hospital with partially severed limbs, with disembowelment, with their, with their abdomens actually open, with bowels hanging out, and not been able to care. You know, the clinicians in Gaza are stripped of the most basic tools of medical care. They're stripped of the ability to give comfort through pain relief. They're stripped of the ability to even adequately dress wounds with a lack of dressings for wounds. You know, Hassan Abusete was talking about, you know, someone going to the corner shop to get vinegar to to cleanse a wound. You know, it's it's unimaginable. 
um, you know, there's been a lot of discourse around the shortage of anesthetics. You know, the, the, the there sadly are cases where, you know, people are having, you know, um, fractures, you know, reduced or, you know, um, uh, sort of very basic medical care that would have been done under local anesthetic or under regional anesthetic, been done with that anesthetic or under very, very light sedation. Um, you know, the it, it is in a modern society, and I'm, I always come back, that the striking thing when you cross from Israel into Gaza, you cross from this first world country um, into a situation where you have, well, you cross from everything that's available, tarmac roads, you know, beautiful hostels, into a situation where the, they want for such basic things. You know, want, before the war, one in three um, essential drugs could not be found in Gaza on a reliable basis. And now we're in a completely different situation. Um, I've just heard before I came on the show that um, the Turkish um, Friendship Hospital, which is the only cancer hospital in Gaza, you know, it it has you know about 10,000 cancer patients in Gaza. This is the only cancer hospital. It's now going to be out of service. They've experienced repeated bombardments in the last 48 hours. They've now run out of fuel. Al-Shifa, you know, the major trauma center. In fact, it's the major hospital receiving trauma. It doesn't have trauma-trained surgeons. It's got excellent vascular surgeons, orthopedic surgeons, and general surgeons. But, you know, Al-Shifa are also on their knees running out of fuel in addition to the basic medical supplies. Um, there was a sort of message put out from the Ministry of Health asking, you know, any civilians if they have extra fuel, spare fuel, to, to you know, to, to donate that to the hospital to try and keep generators running. And I think, you know, the situation's deteriorated even further in that with the repeated cries for, you know, from the Israelis to evacuate from northern and central Gaza, you know, that's that's an impossibility in reality. You're asking sort of to evacuate thousands of, you know, staff and patients as well as the sort of, you know, 115, 120,000 internally displaced people who are taking shelter in those hospitals. And you're asking them to move to a part of Gaza that we know in the past week has also been targeted and bombing. So just over a thousand of the deaths have been in Khan Yunus and about 800 or so deaths have been recorded in Rafa. So there is no safe space in Gaza. Um, the interesting question that I've heard asked of my colleagues um, who've, who've come on to media to speak about the humanitarian crisis, which just beggars belief, it's, it's that question asked of humanitarians like myself and Omar, you know, but there's really, yes, they may be bombing the hospitals, they may, they may be doing that, but they're targeting Hamas. Um, the reality is, as you know, as you've heard, Gaza is such a densely populated area. You cannot, you know, bomb targeted, um, you know, Hamas without having indiscriminate killings. But the other question that's come up repeatedly is, you know, but Hamas are the baddies. They're using the civilians as human shields. And it's interesting how often that question's asked without actually the, the sort of kickback on that. You know, are you asking us to legitimise the bombing of hospitals and the bombing of civilians. Um, you know, it, it's just, I, I sometimes struggle with the narrative around this where it comes one way, but the question isn't ever about the morality of the Israelis bombing um, and massacring civilians. 
And, and, and I think that's a really, I mean, look, let's be honest, in terms of what's underpinning this is such a systematic dehumanization of Palestinian yeah. life. Um, because there isn't even a sense here that in this discussion that Palestinian life matters. So, I mean, you know, that's how you end up with a rationale between an entire refugee camp being bombed for the sake of one Hamas commander. Oh, it's, it's appalling. It's appalling. And, and the, but the reality is, no matter which part of Gaza the Israelis, the IDF bomb, they will be hitting of hundreds of civilians every single time. And, you know, as, as one of my colleagues said earlier today, Every child that dies, that that's someone's everything. Yeah. Um, you know, we've heard of, you know, entire families being wiped off the civil register. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it is truly appalling. The um I mean the, the the narrative around the numbers and dehumanization. I'm from Northern Ireland and you know, I lived you know through the troubles. And, and I can remember the same thing happened in Northern Ireland, that sort of death of a British soldier, you know, being demoted to page five of the newspaper, or if it was a sort of, you know, loyalist Nunez paper, it was the death of a Catholic got demoted, and quite rapidly we dehumanise. And I think the, the the scale of this horror, it cannot be underestimated or understated. You know, if I think about Northern Ireland, you know, we had... Um, just over 3,700 deaths in a 30-year conflict. I mean, the latest news we're getting from Gaza is that we've almost got the same number of children who have died in just over three weeks. It, when we think about the statistics that have come out about civilian deaths in Ukraine after the Russian invasion, so we're talking over a sort of 18-month period, about 9,700 deaths. We're getting so close to that in Gaza in three and a half weeks. And, um, and Ukraine is a much, much bigger population. Oh, it's huge. I mean, the population I mean, of Gaza is 2.2 million or so, and the population of Ukraine is 44 million. And also, you've got to think of the geographical area. I think I keep, I keep hearing sort of discussions about the city in the north and the city in the south. The whole of Gaza could fit under the, onto the Isle of Wight. Um, you know, so if you think about internal displacement of 1.4 million people, and you've got that on the sort of same geographical area of Zyla White, and it's densely populated, you've got a major humanitarian crisis straight away in terms of sanitation, lack of water, and so forth. Um, but it, it's it's extraordinary. And the other thing I would say about the conflict, I mean, some of the previous um, contributors to the show have, have mentioned this on, is that. In no other conflict, in no other natural disaster in the world in modern times has there ever been such a blockade of humanitarian aid in, has there ever been such targeting of civilian um, homes, hospitals, schools, all protected places, you know, schools, hospitals protected under the Geneva Convention. And in Gaza previously, within 24 hours of, you know, an Israeli military strike, there has been humanitarian going in, aid going in. There have been additional personnel to come in and relieve the absolutely exhausted medical staff, some of whom are actually, you know, we had a posting from a nurse um, earlier today where, you know, there's a description of, you know, a, um, watching a colleague, a fellow nurse, meet an injured patient to realise it's her her child um, and that while she was at work, her family home was bombed. But but these these medical staff are working under duress, and they they need help themselves. They need aid coming in um, as well. 
I mean, just I don't want to keep making these comparisons, but I mean, I keep talking about Bosnia at the moment. I do think there are some striking parallels at the moment, by the way, because the Bosnian Serbs suffered a genocide in World War II. They suffered That's... terrible atrocities. The first big massacre of the Bosnian War was against Bosnian Serb civilians. Uh, and I read through some of the details of some things Bosnian Serb civilians suffered, um, which I can't repeat here, but they were similar to that, which Hamas yeah. stands of. Um, and there was the, the position of Bosnian Serbs that they needed an ethno state to protect themselves from Muslim domination. I just want to just be clear. Um, but no one justifies what the Bosnian Serb nationalist leaders did in the atrocities that they just committed. I've been to Sarajevo. I've seen, I've, I interviewed people who were on the receiving end of that. But the point I would just make again is 40,000 civilians are estimated to have died in the Bosnian war in three years. Um, up to around 100,000 overall died, but they were mostly soldiers on each side. And mm -hmm. um, that was over a three-year period. And Bosnia had twice the pre-war population of Gaza. So we're already at a situation within three and a half weeks when the total death toll in Gaza is a quarter of the total civilian deaths in the entire Bosnian war and half if you do it per capita. Yeah. I mean, I just just finally on that, I mean, you know, the humanitarian catastrophe, because this, I think, one of the most surreal, in the worst possible way, things I've ever experienced in my entire life, um, in that I've, I've, you know, it's... I've always studied atrocities throughout history and been fascinated in a macabre way in how these atrocities are made possible, how they get consent and complicity, how people who otherwise regard themselves as as as, as humane, rational, moderate mm. people buy in. But we are talking, aren't we, about a one of the most severe humanitarian catastrophes of our time, and yet it has the buy-in of most of our politicians and journalists. How do you feel as a medic? How do you feel as a medic, knowing what's happening, the medical catastrophe, your government, our government, is... It's something, it's appalling you on. I mean, the, the, I, was, uh, I was just thinking this morning, is there some sort of threshold body count at which the US and the UK government will say, okay, it's now time to stay the hand of Netanyahu? Mm -hmm. I mean, look at look at what I mean. I know this isn't the subject of this program, but if you think of how late we were to step in and you know work within the Balkan War that you mentioned, or other major conflicts, it's you know how many people Rwanda? How many people do we need to see massacred? How big does the genocide have to be? How big does that body count have to be before finally our governments? What what? What does it take? And I think that thing about, you know, Udi mentioned it, our politicians are clearly, you know, somehow they're over a barrel on this. And I'm not quite sure exactly what drives them or how they sleep in bed at night. But it's, I think there's a huge role for civil society here. You know, as medics, you know, we're coming together, we're trying to ensure the voice out there. I know that within the global surgery community, um, there is a growing a number of doctors who are coming together to try and lobby against their national bodies in their countries. They're trying to lobby politicians. Um, in our Oxford, um, you know, locality, we've had several. Well, we had seven Labour councillors resign from from the party and resign their Labour. Uh, and that's uh, that's what I mean by civil action. In Belgium, we've had you know. Um, transports, you know, blocking any sort of arms leaving Belgium. So I think civil society has to come together. And and the sort of the Liverpool streets sort of sit, sit in 
the you know the Jewish um, rights human rights activists doing the you know that sort of thing is really really powerful. Um, I mean the we could spend another half hour talking about our esteemed Home Secretary here and the language that she is using. You know this is a Home Secretary renowned for her hate speech against asylum seekers. You know the sort of othering and dehumanization of asylum seekers to now turn right and talk about peaceful protest as happened in London on Saturday, where you had people from all denominations, you had people, you know, from all walks of life, young, old, families, whatever, coming together in a unified cause, in a largely peaceful process, uh, protest. And you had our esteemed Home Secretary define that as, you know, a, you know, a, a hate, an instant of hate, you know, a sort of protest of hate and other slanderous words against humanitarian cause and humanitarian rights. Um, I do not see our government at any point standing up for the Geneva Convention that it is a signatory of. Um, and I think that's quite frankly, you know, embarrassing. At least, Owen, you and I can sort of, when this is hopefully over and hopefully soon, we can at least say that we did something. We were standing, we're talking about it. And I think, I, I am a believer in the butterfly effect. I think if if these conversations start and if everyone starts having these conversations, we might just get somewhere as a civil society. What I think is really, really hard is when I hear people talking about how the scenes from Gaza are so distressing, they turn off the television. Yeah, that's the danger. If only, yeah. the, if only the doctors, the nurses, the paramedics that we have had contact with could turn off their television, you know, at nighttime and that, and that, media blackout that's calmed blackout that's happened before the weekend and has happened again um, for a time this morning. Um, you know, what psychological torture is that? Because that is, you know, that is saying to the, the Palestinians, you know, you're you're cut off now. We can do as we like. You know, this is how much power we have over you. The only thing they haven't yet cut off from Gaza, to my mind, is the air that they breathe. Because the, the torture that's going on psychologically, physically, is, is inhumane as well. If we think about any of the major mass shootings, um, just take what happened in Maine, you know, the, in USA. Can you imagine the outcry if there was a, a, a sort of loss of connectivity from phones and from internets? You know, for people not to be able to call an ambulance, for people who have friends or family in hospital not to know how they are. Um, not to be able to phone your friends, say they've survived or not survived. You know, what has happened there is pure psychological torture. Brenda, honestly, I just, in awe, basically, of, of everything that you, you you do. I'm always in awe of doctors, not just because my partner's a doctor, um, <laughs> but at the best of times. But um, to be able to speak so humanely about, about this catastrophe and to put it in that broader context honestly i really appreciate it i'm sorry by the way my cat all the way through has no, been very I, I had locked my dog my dog is sitting staring at me through a glass window here <laughs> he was asleep when i started but he he decided to stop playing up but um yeah and what you said i just think it's it's so it's so crucial to put in that broader context after you leave i'm going to talk actually a bit about liverpool street and and, and the protests mm. and the attempt to delegitimize them but brenda honestly and and the stuff you've all been doing to raise uh, to provide a voice uh, for what's happening in terms of the medics in Gaza. I mean, the at, sorry, I keep, I always share the at, and I will after this as well, of, um, of, of. The Gaza Medic Voices. So it's on X as yeah, yeah, yeah. Gaza Medic Voices and Instagram is just Gaza Medic Voices. 
The other yeah. interesting one, Owen, if we could just make sure people are aware of, is the Gaza journalist voices. Yes. So it's yes. the same sort of line. It's very much getting, because as you know, foreign journalists aren't getting in and no, 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 the no, journalists no. are operating under such threat to their own lives and their families' lives as, as well, a yes. thing. And, and, and medics, uh, journalists, UN officials alike have been murdered, uh, killed en masse as well as their families. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we've lost over a hundred, I think it's 130 healthcare workers and, and the devastating thing, you know, we're myself, one of the other obstetricians, we're preparing to go to Gaza next week and one of our key contacts in Gaza, wonderful obstetrician gynecologist, was killed with her with her family in one of the bombs in the first week. So every person will have a story like that. Um, unfortunately, it's just, yeah. Where do you begin? To be honest, uh, Brenda, yeah. thank you so much, and all my love. No, thank you, thank you so much. No, that's that's yeah. goes without saying. And uh, do and speak between. Take care, take care. Sort of okay. Brilliant stuff there from Brenda uh, and all our guests. And um, all the way through this, we'll keep promoting the voices of medics. And um, we need to know the reality of this, obviously, the humanitarian calamity. I'm going to talk about the protests and the attack on protests and, frankly, the, the attack on voices um, standing with Palestine. I'm just going to go quickly through Super Chats because there have been a number of Super Chats. I just want to take one on, actually, quickly, um, which I saw. And I'm just going to take this on. Uh, someone saying that don't more first. Don't forget that Israel is a democracy, and Jews have voted for this. It's not some dictator forcing its people to fight. Jews volunteered to join the army and do this violence. They can see it. They don't care. Remember, I'm going to take this on. This is the language of collective guilt. The language of collective guilt, which has been used obviously again in the onslaught against the Palestinian um, people, and and it has to be fought. Um, there was no peace. There was no prospect of any peace with attitudes as expressed by, by Morphis. And it's important that we say that, you know. And, you know, there, there will only be peace in the Middle East with a just settlement which provides security for Palestinians and Jews alike. That's the only way out of this. Now, whether you believe in a two-state solution or a one-state solution with, a set, with, with, with the equal rights for all, however difficult that might seem as a prospect now, that is the only solution. That is the only way that this will ever um, be resolved. And anything that in any sense echoes anti-Semitic tropes, which is what this does, is riddled with anti-Semitism, will instantly, what it does is makes, for example, many Jewish people who are angry with Benjamin Netanyahu and angry with what's happening in Gaza, it will provoke a defensive reaction because of the context, the 2,000 years of the persecution of the Jewish people, um, overwhelmingly by Europeans, which Palestinians have been made to pay for. Uh, but it instantly brings up that collective trauma, which is rooted in historical reality. Um, and people who express these views are not just um, an affront in terms of worth, or, or expressing anti-Semitic views, which need to be fought as an evil in their own right. They are the enemy of peace. People who speak like this are exactly the sorts of people who Benjamin Netanyahu and the likes want to hear platformed. So I just wanted to take that on. Um, David Baratta, the sheer hypocrisy of the West here, has shown that our leaders are no better than Putin. Is there anything people can do to help push our leaders in asking for a ceasefire? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we are basically now the Western media and Western, polit and Western politicians who will denounce the war crimes of Vladimir Putin correctly as I have done, you see the differences between me and you, between me and them is I'm consistent. 
they have they they will say in the most fiery possible terms they'll hang the Ukrainian flags from their windows, denounce the war crimes committed by Putin, and then say either nothing about the about war crimes being committed on mass. You know, I mean, imagine a a Ukrainian refugee camp was just blown up by Putin with hundreds of deaths on the basis that there was one member of the Azov Brigade there. Can you imagine the response? And the truth is, those Western politicians and commentators see Ukrainians as human beings, which they should, and they do not see Palestinians as human beings. This dehumanization, this racism underpins all of this. It's always underpinned uh, colonialism, and, and we can't divorce it from this um, at all. Um, and they don't believe in human rights. They don't believe in humanity. They would never tolerate this death toll. Nobody would tolerate the death toll in Gaza if the number of civilians died were those they recognised as being human beings like themselves. You would never tolerate that level. I mean, what, what the, the argument now is what? That until the, they keep saying until the hostages are released. Well, I want the hostages released. I don't think for one second those 200 hostages are going to come out alive, the vast majority of them, um, with the way with, with, with the military onslaught that raises Gaza to the ground. I mean, Hamas have claimed that several of the hostages have been killed because of airstrikes. I'm not going to just regurgitate what Hamas says quite clearly. Uh, but given the amount of bombs, explosives, um, detonated in Gaza in the last three and a half weeks is one and a half times the amount released by the Hiroshima bomb in an area the size of East London, I will only presume that some hostages have been killed that way. I mean, I, th I think the, the odds are overwhelmingly in that favour. And I don't believe with Gaza's moan to the ground and destroyed uh, that those hostages are going to come out alive. But what are these people arguing for? How If they're saying, well, until the hostages are released, 200, how many Palestinian lives are they prepared to, innocent lives are they prepared to kill for that? We've, well, 10,000, nearly 10,000. They're fine with that. 20,000, 50,000, 100,000. I ask because I want to know what the ratio is so I can work out exactly what worth they attach to a Palestinian life. Um, but we need to keep marching and protesting. I'm going to come on to that. Um, David Bratter also says, would it be feasible for UN-controlled buffer zone similar to Cyprus and Israel and Palestine at some point? Well, I mean, it's bleak, isn't it? I mean, because the truth is what's happened in the last few weeks makes makes any lasting peace so much harder. The bitterness, the anger which exists is so hard. Um, and at the moment, the focus has to be on ending the killing. You know, for those who believe in a one-state solution with the equal rights for all, that's just so difficult now to envisage. And, you know, there isn't, in any case, the majority is either amongst the Palestinian people or the Israeli people. Um, and the best we can hope for is a two-state solution. Um, uh in which both are protected and how that happens, obviously, we have to discuss. Um, Tad Campwell, there seems to be no defined endpoint to the campaign. It seems this fight for last month would continue suffering. I mean, that's the thing. Look, guys, Jesus, three and a half weeks and approaching 10,000 dead people um, without even, the, you know, with only the a ground invasion beginning. And, you know, the worry has to be what happens if this spirals, Hezbollah is involved, a regional war. I mean, what's the death toll going to be in a month, two months, three months, four months? I mean, already with the collapse of all the things you expect in human civilization in Gaza, where people can't escape, it's hideous. Uh, thank you to Wildflowers. And David Bratt again, just at hospitals. Oh, sorry, I should have asked the doctor that, sorry. Uh, running low resources, never took to me, sorry, what the risk of cholera outbreaks of the diseases. Well, we're already hearing, I mean, basically lots of reports of of you know, people drinking dirty water and the health impact of that. Look, people who are can have got cancer aren't getting cancer treatment. There are 50,000 women who are pregnant in Gaza. I mean, it's just every single level, people with heart conditions. 
I mean, you know, you could end up with more people dying in various health conditions than dying of missiles. It's an absolute catastrophe and it has to be fought. Um, just before I end, I just want to talk about the protest. So in Liverpool Street, a protest was organised and Jewish activists were in the absolute forefront of this, which is very relevant. Let me just show you this flash mob in Liverpool Street Station. It was absolutely huge. Let's have a look. <laughs> Now, there were some interesting responses to that, to uh, say the least. Uh, one, for example, suggesting uh, that this was intimidating um, to uh, to Jewish people, that was posed a, 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 a menace to Jewish people there, um, even though you can quite clearly see the Jews Against Genocide banner. I know many of the activists involved, Jewish activists, played a leading role. Um, they were in the forefront of organising that and other protests, including the protest against Keir Starmer, just in terms of where we're heading here. Um, Simon Sharma is a very prestigious, one of the most famous historians of the country, not one of the most famous. He tweeted, a clarification, the chant in Liverpool Street, as many have pointed out, is indeed not intifada, but ceasefire now. Apologies. No biggie. No biggie there. Intifada. Ceasefire now. What's the difference? I mean, they sound exactly the same there, don't they? Someone else, another public figure, definitely not naming them, uh, life really is too short, claimed it was a call for jihad. They thought it was jihad. But the point I'm making is, and it is important to say that Jewish peace activists are at the forefront of organising these protests. What is happening in this country is the more the atrocities spiral, the more the death toll spirals, the worse the humanitarian catastrophe, the more those standing in solidarity with the Palestinian people are going to come under attack. They know they don't have public opinion on their side as it is, even though a lot of public opinion are scared about coming under attack, which is why you've got political and politicians and, and the media behaving in the way they are. They're trying to stigmatise any solidarity with the Palestinian people because these people are on the side of the Radovan Karadiches of our time. That's the side they're on. Now, they, they're going to keep stigmatising and attacking people who stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. They're going to escalate that campaign. We're probably going to end up where they're going to try banning protests. There's already calls to ban those protests. And it is absolutely, unbelievably transparent what is happening. Um, and we need to be very clear about that. Um, because it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse all the way through. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And um, so stand your ground. We are. We do need to protest. Everyone needs to come out on this Saturday at 12 p.m. onwards in London, but protests across the country. Just look them up. Very easy to find out where protests are taking place or internationally. I know lots of people uh, watch or listen from other countries. Um, but be aware there's going to be an increased campaign to demonize and vilify those standing with the Palestinian people. We need to talk about that because it's it is going to get worse. But we know we are on the side of humanity. We are a trying to stop the mass slaughter of innocent people, and b trying to do with the root causes of this horror show, which means we have to put it in its wider context, and that is so so important. Um, I just want to say thanks again to our guests. So important that we heard from them. Um, and those different voices. I'll keep platforming those different voices, and I really appreciate it. Um, and thank you everyone for listening. Do make sure you press like and subscribe. Keep the show on the road on patreon.com forward slash Sherman Joseph 4. 
obviously we're putting out a huge amount of content. We're working every day as hard as we can. And the reason we have to do that is because we're so too few people within the media who are um, who are speaking out. That's why we're doing so much. Um, I'll be in Good Morning Britain on Thursday, um, 6.30 a.m. I think I'm on Sky News as well at 7 p.m. on Thursday. And obviously I'll do my best. Um, but obviously we need to try and get the other voices. And but, but there are too few of us, so that's why we are focusing so much on building up alternative platforms, which is what this is all about. So thank you for keeping the show on the road. Thanks, everyone. As I say, press like and subscribe. And we'll be live again next Wednesday. We've got loads and loads of interviews, videos to come. So do stay tuned and I'll speak to you soon. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.